Can you hear me? I have such a big mouth, I usually don't need one of these things. But uh, the voice is a little shaky this morning, so pray for me. Turn in your Bibles this morning, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I bet you thought we, we were done with Moses, didn't you? If you remember last time we looked at Moses, we finished with that wonderful epitaph written by God about a great man, great man of faith, in the book of Deuteronomy. Well, there's actually a second epitaph here in Hebrews 11. And it's food for more thought because God focuses on an aspect of his life that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Okay, there's actually four verses here devoted uh, to Moses, or actually five, but we're going to look at these three because they're the first ones and really uh, the biggest uh, aspect of his life talked about in Hebrews. It's interesting, as we just read this praise uh, from God of Moses, that... Uh, God doesn't say, you know, by faith, Moses parted the Red Sea. You would think it would be some great miracle after all those miracles, you know. By faith, uh, Moses turned the Nile to blood. He brought water out of the rock, you know. Where are all these great miracles? You'd think, boy, what a chance to really uh, talk about the fireworks, you know, and all the acts of greatness. But he doesn't. In fact, if you wanted to boil down the summary of these three verses about Moses' life, it's really found in the word in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused. Being interpreted, he said what? No. That's right, just say no, right? So in these verses, God is, is saying, Moses uh, exercised faith by saying no. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, saying no. Simple, simple word, two letters, sometimes very difficult to say. <clears throat> now, just to uh, uh, get around you naysayers who say, all right, Mr. Preacher, wait a minute, you talked about parting the Red Sea. What about verse 29? By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Uh-oh. Is that talking about Moses? No, it's talking about the Israelites. By the way, does it say by faith they parted the Red Sea? What does it say? They passed through. Isn't that cool? It, it, God's not impressed by the parting of the Red Sea. He was impressed by the fact that they walked through the Red Sea. And we have to dispel from your minds all the liberal interpretations of how uh, the Red Sea was really the Sea of Reeds and it was only eight inches deep and a big wind came up, you know. And, and blew it apart, and then they walked across. Because I love it when God makes it clear, and you can't do that kind of stuff. You know what he says in that passage? He says that the water was a wall to them on the left and a wall to them on the right. Okay? A wall of water. 
So imagine walking through a corridor of a sea where the water's standing up on both sides. That would take a little faith, wouldn't it? And that's what God's talking about here. They pass through these, these two walls of water, trusting God that he was going to deliver them. So uh, God did focus indeed, not on the miracles, interestingly enough, that Moses did, but rather simply the fact that he said no. That, that's a big deal to God. In fact, this passage, those three verses are just so rich, and that's what we're going to uh, learn from this morning. Why is it such a big deal? Well, first of all, look at the things that Moses said no to. There are three things here. Uh, first, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. Now, he was 40 years old at this point, and uh, we really don't know where he would have stood as far as, you know, the ruling hierarchy of, of Egypt. I doubt if he would have been... Uh, inherited pharaoh's rule in other words become king of egypt not being a native born egyptian but nevertheless he would have been high up he's he's been adopted by pharaoh's daughter and so since we know joseph for example rose to second in egypt right so uh he, he said no to power imagine where he could have gone you know Boy, just think of the life that was in, wait, awaiting him there in Egypt. He said, no, I'm saying, I'm saying no to that. I refuse. I don't want that. Next, in verse 26, it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He said no to money, to wealth. That's hard for people to do, isn't it? But not just any, it says the treasures of Egypt. At this, I love this because when he said no, it was probably the greatest and most powerful and richest kingdom in the world at that time. Uh, the riches were just unbelievable. They know that um, just in their burial, the pharaohs were buried with what's called a king's ransom. You're all familiar with King Tut, right? He was just a boy. And they had been longing for years to find out just exactly how rich it was in burial when they buried a pharaoh. They didn't know because every time they came across a tomb, they were empty. The grave robbers had gone in and emptied them. But in 1922, Howard Carter uh, uh, dug down these hidden stairs and came up to the, the main doors into King Tut's burial chamber. And when they cleared away all the debris and stuff, there was the seal on the door, still there the way they put it. And uh, you know the rest. Maybe you've seen them. They've, they've come to San Francisco several times, the big golden mask. That mask itself weighs 300 pounds, solid gold. It's worth $6 million. The, the riches they found in there today are appraised at a billion dollars. Just for burying a kid, a, a young ruler. I mean, the, the guys that were older and had more experience, it would be much more than that. And that's just for burying them. So this is no small thing when Moses... Look, he had a, he, he'd been living high for 40 years. He knew what it was like. And he knew what he'd be leaving, and he said no to that. Um, and uh, verse uh, 25, we'll go back. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Pleasure. He said no to, to pleasure. It's interesting how God talks about it. I love the old King James. It's, I think it says... The pleasures of sin for a season. Isn't that good? So he said no to power, no to wealth, no to pleasure. 
and basically unlimited power, unlimited pleasure, unlimited wealth, more than he could ever use in a lifetime. And he said no to it. I don't want that. It wasn't easy. If it was, if it was easy, God wouldn't be making such a big deal about it here. Okay? It would have been just as difficult for him as any, anybody here to give up a cushy lifestyle like that. Now, ultimately, uh, Moses was saying no to someone. And I'm not thinking of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was ultimately saying no to himself. Wasn't he? To his flesh. You know, his own natural desires. I don't know about you, but I would tend to want to stay there. <laughs> right? You know? I, I, my flesh, would rather be there in the comfort zone. But he said no to his flesh. And, and let me stress, by the way, I've been saying no, no, no. The other half of this equation is he also said yes. He said yes to God. If we just go around saying no, 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 we become ascetic, you know, like the monks that whip themselves. We're not talking about that this morning, and neither is God. He's talking about he said no to the flesh, and he said yes to God. That's why he's commended here. So let's remember that. Why is it so important to God? Well, it honors him. My flesh wants to say yes, yes, yes to all these things. And it means a lot to him when for his sake, simply because I trust him, I say, no, sorry, and yes to God. If you're a parent, you can relate to that. Isn't it wonderful when you, you ask your children to do something that you know is contrary to what they would want to do? But because they trust you, they say no to what they would want to do and yes to you. Isn't that great? That's, that's wonderful. Well, God's no different. That's, that's what it's like to him when we do that. When we, when we basically say, Lord, I trust you. You know, I would naturally want to do this, but I know you'd rather I did that, so I'm going to do it. When we forego something we would naturally desire, that is, choose not to do it, because that something would interfere with our fellowship with and service for the Lord. That's what we're talking about. When we forego something we would naturally desire, that is, we would choose not to do it because that something would interfere with our fellowship with and service for the Lord. And we, it covers every area of life, doesn't it? We face decisions like this daily, dozens of times. We have choices, you know? Our comforts, missing a meal, missing sleep, accepting weariness, thirst, discomfort, suffering for Jesus' sake, relationships, ending harmful ones putting all others in a second place to him. Our money, our possessions, no to self, yes to God, giving to the Lord, purchasing and not purchasing. Our time use, no to time wasters, yes to prayer, Bible study, witnessing, encouraging others, every area of our lives. Our flesh, I don't know about you, my flesh is like a little kid, a spoiled kid, you know. When you tell him no, he starts whining and kicking and throws a tantrum. He said, but I want it. You know, won't take no for an answer. And of course, when we, we, we're stressing saying no, we mean more than just saying the word, obviously. It means doing it, proving it by your life. And Moses certainly did. After he said no to these things, he didn't turn back. He uh, spent 40 years, first of all, in the backside of the desert. Remember that? And then 40 more years in that same desert leading a contrary people. And what's interesting is, as you read through uh, Exodus, through Deuteronomy, 
you see the Israelites over and over again, you know, oh, if only we'd stayed in Egypt, right? You never see Moses say that. He never says that. And he knew better than them, you know, what, what would have been waiting for him. He never uttered that sentiment. It was not an option for him. Now, the nice thing is God, God knows our, our flesh. He knows our natural tendency. He knows my natural tendency. Which is to say, I want it now. You know, and then, and then getting it. Uh, we know it's a natural tendency by experience. We also know it from the scripture because it's interesting. Uh, Paul writes about the last days in 2 Timothy. Did you know that the last days are going to be like the 60s here in the Bay Area? The age of love. Age of love. That was, the, that was the buzzword when I went to Berkeley in the 60s, you know. Love, love, love. All the world needs now is love, was a song, you know. Well, it's going to be like that in the end times. You didn't know that, did you? Listen to what Paul says. In the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't that interesting? Love. And it, because it's the end times, it just, it's going to be the natural outworking. People are just going to, with total abandon, seek pleasure and self-satisfaction. The interesting thing is that um, those phrases, according to the world that we just read, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lover of, lovers of money, that's, that's a successful life. That's the true, fulfilled life, isn't it? You know, someone who lives like that. In fact, it equals success, true happiness, and real living, according to the world. It is. Now, if that's true, then, number one, Jesus was the greatest failure, the most unhappy man, and he never really lived. I wonder who's wrong. You see, Jesus said it himself. If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. What does deny mean? Say no. That's right. You're going to come after me? Say no to self. Why? Because I've done it. We'll talk about that in a minute. You're going to follow me. A disciple is going to be like his master. You've got to do like me and say no to self. There's a wonderful example in Scripture uh, so that when we talk like this and you sit out there and you say, man, but, uh, you know, you only go around once in life and so you've got to grab for all the gusto you can get. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, that's real happy. That's what everybody says. That's right. What's neat is God put in his word a guy who really did that. And he had the power to do anything. He was rich, powerful. You know who it was? Solomon. And the book of Ecclesiastes is basically uh, the case of somebody doing that for us, living life to the fullest, the way the world would say. And he's, he's always been there. He's done that. And he tells us, having been there, what it's like. Listen to the description of how he uh, lived. Solomon writes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. 
I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh. He's not saying no, he's saying yes, isn't he? With wine, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. In this passage, that's probably the only one that wouldn't be too contemporary today, right? You know, people aren't running after flocks and herds. It would probably be, I filled my garage with Maseratis and Rolls Royces. I also acquired for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Wow. Doesn't that sound like the life of Riley? Isn't that great? Huh? Let's ask Solomon. What was it like, Solomon, to live that kind of a life? He says, it was all vanity. You know what that word means? Empty. That's right, empty. That's funny because the world would say, that's living life to the fullest. Solomon says, uh uh, I've done it. And it's empty. His summary of what he did, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I didn't say no. That's what he said. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. If I wanted it, I did it. I took it. I said, yes, yes, yes. And I came away, he says, chasing the wind. Can you imagine running down the street chasing the wind? When will you know you've got it, you know? You never get it. So we have the testimonies. Isn't that wonderful that God give us an example of somebody who's already been there, you know? It's kind of like the old wagon trains. When they first came across, we think of them following roads and so on. Well, a lot of the time that wasn't the case. They had guys on horses. You know, you had the family and so on back on the wagon creeping along, pulled by the team. And you had these single guys on horses that could go much faster and farther. And they'd go ahead and they'd follow the valleys because they wanted to get over on the lowest spot when they were over mountains and hills. And sometimes what might look like a way over the hills ended up as a dead end. And so these guys would come back and say, hey, don't go that way. It doesn't go anywhere. Well, that's what Solomon said. He, he scouted ahead for us. He had the power and the wealth to do anything he wanted, and he did it. And he said, hey, you guys, turn back, all right? This is a dead end. It leads nowhere. It's chasing the wind. Okay, Moses. You know, you wonder, he's 40 when he makes this decision, this, this life choice, which he never went back on, by the way. You really uh, wonder how, what brought him to that point. Certainly, he seemed to have had some kind of a call of God because we saw in Acts that uh, he expected them to realize he was the one that was going to deliver them. So apparently God had shown him something. But uh, was it be, did he look back and, and he'd already done it all? Or he just saw what it led to? We don't know. However it was, he said no. And his remaining 80 years of life were, think about it, it's a life of poverty, 
discomfort, rejection, and suffering. He said no to all that and yes to this. The world would say he's nuts. This guy's insane. He's a masochist. And by the way, he wasn't a victim. Look at verse 25. It says, choosing rather to suffer. He chose it. Okay. He knew what he was doing. It was voluntary. He wasn't a helpless victim. And I love uh, the way God puts it. He, wa- he wasn't, again, just saying no, you know, like the monks and self-flagellation and all that. He was saying yes to God. He says in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Wow. Isn't that neat? You notice something there? Was Jesus around when Moses did this? But it says here, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why did God say that? The reproach of Christ. Jesus wasn't around. Well, God is crediting him with sharing in the sufferings of Christ by his choice. And if you think about it, it was very similar. Um, For 40 years, he was rejected by his own people in spite of his love for them and his desire to shepherd them. I think that's why God says that. He was so like his son in that respect. Some people say Moses was a failure, you know. He turned his back on uh, everything the world could offer, the world, and uh, died in the desert. He never even made it into the promised land. But we don't have to guess whether he was or not. He's one of the most successful lives. How do I know that? Because God says so. And so we can say that Moses, in spite of uh, what the world would say, lived life to the fullest. I thought I'd go on the Internet and uh, try to find answers to this. What does it mean to live life to the fullest? Ask the Internet. You can find anything on the Internet, unfortunately. And uh, do it sometime. It's very interesting what the world says is living life to the fullest. Now, these quotes I'm going to give you are not made up. These are right off the Internet. And it's just the first half dozen I found. First one, this is the quote. We are looking to live life to the fullest. Talking about a cruise on a cruise ship. Live life to the fullest after investing in a life insurance policy. I don't know about if you live life to the fullest, but when you die, somebody else will. (laughs) See if you can guess what the product is on this one. It's personality. This product has personality, okay? Its personality is one that is strong-minded, educated, youthful, passionate, and positive, motivating customers to conquer challenges and live life to the fullest. You know what it is? Beer. (laughs) This is a personal testimony of somebody. I finally understand the meaning of live life to the fullest. I do it every time I ride my, Tom, motorcycle. Live life to the fullest with the help of, are you ready? Spy cams. I didn't write these, okay? Here's another one. Personal happiness counts a lot. Live life to the fullest with diamonds. 
And the last one. Our range of products will help you to live life to its fullest and make a real and lasting difference. You know what it is? It's furniture. Isn't that good? If there's, if there's a lack in your life, you need more sofas and, and chairs and tables. Okay, so here I am. I'm faced with uh, seven choices here on the Internet. Which one do I do? They all say something different. Do I do one of them? Two of them? How about all of them? If I do all of them, I'll be safe, right? I'll be living life to the fullest. So I'm going to take out a big life insurance policy. I'm going to buy and wear lots of diamonds. Then take a long cruise. And I'm going to have to ride down to the dock on my motorcycle. I'm going to furnish my stateroom on the ship with this brand of furniture, okay? And plenty of spy cams. And while cruising, I'm going to drink lots of beer. You're laughing. But I'll tell you, somebody would say, that's the full life. Wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, somebody's wrong here, okay? Now, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, which being interpreted means that they might live life to its fullest. That's what he's saying there, isn't it? I think Jesus is right. Interesting, you know what he, think about what he says. He says, I have come so that they might have a full life. You know what he's saying by that? He's saying, if I didn't come, they wouldn't have a full life. In fact, he's saying, without me, you cannot live a full life, isn't he? That's what he's saying. And then he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Say no. There's the full life. No to self. Yes to Jesus. Deny himself. Say no. Okay, that brings us to the final point here in um, Moses' life. Because when I do, and you know this, uh, believers, you know, when we say no to self and yes to Jesus, we experience real life, don't we? That's where it's at. And the nice thing is, when we do that, we experience real life, number one, and two, we'll have no regrets when we meet him face to face. And that's what it says about uh, Moses here. It says at the very end, uh, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses had an eternal perspective. You know, He didn't focus on the, the hot sun up above and the sand under his feet when he was walking in that desert. And he didn't focus on all the murmuring and complaints and and plots and so on against himself. He focused on eternity. The reward here is simply looking back without regrets. That's what he was looking forward to. Being able to face his God with joy and satisfaction and not with regret. He had the eternal perspective. You know, they talk about uh, wise investors who go for the long-term gain versus the short-term. Too often believers, I think, appear to be living only for today. You know, we lose that, that long-term perspective. We need to keep it. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the unjust steward, you know. Uh, guy, guy's a steward for a rich man, and he finds out he's going to be fired. And so before he, can, uh, he loses his job, he goes out to all the outstanding debtors, 
you know the story, and uh, if the guy owed 100 denarii, I said, look, just write it for 50. Another one owed 100. He said, just write it for 80. These guys are happy, man, settling their accounts for less than they owe. It's not, it's not, it's crooked, by the way. It's not good, all right? But God commends him in this sense, in that he planned ahead for himself, because when he loses his job, now he's got all these friends out there, you see. That's the good thing about it. And Jesus went on to say, the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. After that parable, what's he saying? This guy, at least, he thought ahead. He didn't just think for today. And Jesus said, too often we, as sons of light, do just the opposite. We think about now and we uh, blot out eternity. We need to do it the other way around. If anybody should be thinking ahead, it's us. Thinking of being with the Lord and living in light of that. Second Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by sight. The things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. The ultimate example of this, of course, of living like this, is the Lord Jesus himself. And it's, it's really wonderful. People get surprised at this, that Jesus is the last guy on the list here in uh, Hebrews 11 about a life of faith. You know, he, you know he was the ultimate example of living a life of faith? You know that? People get shocked that Jesus had to have faith. Yeah. If you don't understand, it's because you don't understand what faith is. Faith is what we just got through talking about. Look, seeing the unseen and looking to the future instead of the present. We're told that in chapter 12. Flip over there, just to the right. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of faith. Now, you probably have our in your Bible there, don't you? It's italicized, not in the original. It's an unfortunate addition. It's not saying he's the author and finisher of my faith or your faith. He's the author and finisher of faith. What it's saying is he's, he's the uh, great example, the alpha and the omega of living by faith. That's what that's saying. Why? Who, for the joy that was set before him, future endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of god you got it he didn't live for today he lived for the joy that he would have in the future and he suffered a lot by doing that but he did it for a reason we've been harping this morning on saying no did jesus say no to himself yeah you talk about self-denial we're asked to say no to things we shouldn't be doing anyway. That wasn't the case with Jesus. Jesus said no to what was rightfully his. Think about it. He had the right to remain in heaven, right? That's where he belongs. He said no to that. Incredible. He left heaven and came to this dismal place and walked and lived as a man. That's not easy. That was not easy. He had the right to remain separate from sinners. You know, we're around him all the time. But as a holy God, he had the right to remain separate. No, he, he said no to that. And he came and he ate and drank with sinners. He had the right to remain separate from sin. He said no to that. And he who knew, knew no sin was made sin for us. 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He had the right to be worshipped and obeyed. The right that was justly due to Him. He said no, and He came to be rejected, spit upon, and murdered. He had the right to remain King of Kings, but He said no, and He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He tirelessly preached, taught, healed, comforted all who came to him. Never a moment for himself. When he was alone, he spent it with his father. He had the right to be ever close to his father. But he said no and came to the point where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had the right to never experience pain, suffering, or death. But he said no to that. And he suffered cruel torture and a death such as no man will ever know. These were his rights. This is what he said no to. This is what he gave up. And it's not cheap. It cost him dearly. But there's a parallel with us because the things he said no to were all things which would have interfered with his obedience to his father. You understand? If he had not said no to these things, he would not have gone to the cross and opened heaven for us. So if he's going to fulfill the will of God, he had to say no to all of that. And he did. Praise God. This is not theory. He's done it. It's finished. And those were his rights. So Jesus has already denied himself to the ultimate. He said no for you and me. If he could say no to those things, huh? How much more should I be willing to say no to the things that distract me from him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hear your words afresh this morning. We can hear you say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever saves his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Lord, we pray for ourselves this morning that we might redeem the, the few hours that we have here on earth that we might say no to self and yes to you, that we might be found well-pleasing to you, for we ask it in your precious name. Amen.